So Sarah, if someone thinks that they might need to be different, where would you start? Well, I think the first and possibly hardest step is to really accept the current position that you're in. So to take stock of what's going on and how it's having an impact. So on work, on social life, with friendships, um, with extracurricular activities. This can sometimes be quite scary, but it needs to be done in order to decide where to start. And you need to have an understanding of the scope of the difficulties that you're dealing with. Um, then I would suggest making a list of the advantages and disadvantages of the current way of managing things. The question is to do with workability, because striving for perfection keeps difficult feelings at bay in the short term, but it's not usually very effective. Draw a four square grid with the pros and cons of changing versus staying the same. That's an exercise that we often do in our group. You could discuss it with a friend or relative if that feels comfortable, because sometimes another perspective on things can be helpful. How does perfectionism influence a person's thinking? Well, I think we often hear students falling into a number of thinking traps. You already mentioned all or nothing thinking. I think that's the most common one. So either you're doing really, really, really well or you're completely failing. And it's sometimes hard to see that there's a middle ground. Another trap that students fall into often is just focusing on the negatives. So if a tutor's given quite balanced feedback, often the only bit that they can remember is the critical part. And they dismiss all the good achievements that they make, thinking, well, anybody could have done that, or of course I should be doing that, I'm at Oxford. That's something that I've noticed, that often undergraduates find it difficult not getting marks as such for their essays or their coursework um, and they say we haven't got any feedback but when you actually talk to them they get loads of feedback in their tutorials and loads of comments which are both positive but also sort of supportively critical which is encouraging them to do better but unless they get a mark where they can feel like they can judge themselves against how well they're doing against others that doesn't seem to count would you say that's yes, true? Yes I, to I totally agree and it's probably true to say that in adult life we don't get gold stars very often anymore and some people can find that quite difficult especially if they're used to having got certificates and achievements in at school in various things passing grade eight piano or things like that but it takes a, a more secure sense of self-confidence to deal with both positive and negative feedback in a constructive way and sometimes students need help to see the positives in things mm. So you'd say, in, in summary, that they downplay and minimise all the things that are said positive and discount that and amplify and highlight all the negative things, which might be constructive criticism to help them overcome or understand things in a better or different way. Yes, and I, I also find that Students often do that with social situations as well. So after a social occasion, they'll look back on what happened and focus on all the things that they wish that they hadn't said or negative looks that they might have got from somebody and we sometimes call that post-match analysis like mm. when people analyze a football match afterwards and only dwell on the bits that went wrong and think you know well they should have done this and they should have done that but it's very difficult to always be able to do that in the heat of the moment one of the things that we sometimes ask students to do to counter that is to try to before an event think of positive things 
that they can do to cope, but also after the event to think about what went well. And in an academic context, that might take the form of keeping a diary of two or three positive things each day that they're noticing that they're able to do, for example, to work solidly for an hour or to submit something on time or maybe some positive comments that a tutor has said just to counter that tendency to focus on the negatives. Hmm. What maintains perfectionism? Usually, uh, in terms of behaviour, the most common one is avoidance. So students will often avoid opening emails from tutors or they'll avoid starting work. Students will often avoid answering emails from tutors or even opening their email. They'll also put off starting work until the last minute. They'll think about 500 other things that they could be doing instead on the internet. They might avoid social contact. If they start feeling a bit depressed, then they might start then withdrawing socially as well, uh, avoiding going into college, anything that makes them more aware of what they're not doing. And then that becomes a vicious cycle because then they start to fall behind and then that makes it even harder to face up to the challenges of being at Oxford. I think that when we run perfectionism groups, what we find is that there's maybe about three quarters of the students there are trapped in some kind of procrastination or avoidance cycle. But there's another group of students who are just what I think of as relentless perfectionists. So ones that just take on more and more and more and more. Um, and their difficulty is not that they're not achieving things, but just that they're exhausted by the process and have hmm. lost pleasure in things. And for them, it's more about achieving balance and it reintroducing some pleasurable activities. So what, what you're saying, Sarah, is that often the being a perfectionist and having that way of thinking, rather than helping people and encouraging people to work and be successful, uh, which is often something that perfectionists say why they are perfectionists, uh, it has the opposite effect and, and actually stops people working and achieving. And I think that's often the paradox or contradiction that comes with that way of thinking because I've seen and talking to people that are experiencing these dates is that often the the idealized or perfect imaginary essay or thesis or piece of work is much better than the good but not perfect essay because you haven't had enough time or because you know the work's difficult I think that, again, that creates a sort of delusion that this idea that there is this perfect essay, but it never appears in reality. And I try and encourage people to think, actually, the, the perfect essay is the good enough essay that's done and handed in. And that makes you feel that you've achieved something and that goes on to motivate you rather than keep hiding away from doing this impossible task that you will achieve one day but that day never seems to come yes I mean I think that the solution to perfectionism lies in finding balance so it's about looking for the middle ground and about thinking well what would a good enough essay be and then once you've written a good enough essay then you can sharpen it up 
into something that you feel happy with. But until the essay exists, that's impossible to do. So I often ask people to think about where they're at on a 0 to 10 scale, if naught is not having started yet or being completely laid back, to 10 being having everything sorted and everything perfect, and think where they are on that scale of things. And then I ask them to think, what would it take to move one step towards the middle? So whichever end of the spectrum that they're on, mm. to think, you know, if, if I'm at an 8, what would it take just to move to a 7? to stop that thought of, you know, okay, well, next week everything will be different or next term or next academic year to think actually right now, this week, what could I do that would be a little bit different to just take the edge off the pressure? Because I find that what students often struggle with is that if they're not completely satisfied with it fairly quickly, then they feel very guilty. They feel that they should be able to do more that everybody else seems to be able to do it what's wrong with me why can't I do this and that kind of thinking leads nowhere what you need to do is think well what do I need to do as a next step what would be one step towards something that I could see myself feeling happy with in the future and then building on that week to week day to day Hmm. so that's a good stepping stone Mm -hmm. to help um, people you know move on and and dig themselves out of this hole. Yeah, and I think often the goals need to be very specific because when people predict failure, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm worried I'm going to mess up my exams or I'm dreading this social event it's going to be awful. And I think that it's often very vague and diffuse when people are worrying about things that haven't happened yet. Mm. And so I sometimes try and get them to think, okay, well, what would be a particular thing that might go wrong? And then you can problem solve that. I don't think that's a good strategy for dealing with every problem, thinking of all the things that could go wrong. But if you are troubled by a particular worry in the future, sometimes making it quite specific and thinking, if then, or I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, can be very helpful. What's not very helpful is just to think a very global, all or nothing, everything's going to be a disaster kind of terms. So sometimes they find you know, trying to break it down into steps and having specific goals is helpful. Is there anything more that you could add to that? Do you have any other thoughts? Yes, Sarah. There's a couple of other things feeding on from what you said, because I think one of the things, uh, important things, I think you said first of all, is how perfectionists see themselves and they identify what the problem is. Because often they don't think that they've got a problem with perfectionism and they come seeking help or think the most helpful thing would be for them to be better perfectionists. So, you know, how could you achieve this impossible task in a better way? Which, again, as we said, is not a helpful way, but actually questioning where this perfectionism comes from. And I think it's not helped by the fact that perfectionism that or that perfectionist way of thinking may have worked in the past, as I was saying earlier, in schoolwork or sports and music and things like that. If your parents are helping you organise your time and your teacher and things are more clearly mapped out, but if things are wider and there's more challenges and more things to balance out and more complexity to work, those black and white absolute ways of thinking don't help motivate us, give a false and illusory way of thinking how we should manage. So often perfectionists, when they come seeking support, find the help that we can offer. And what we're suggesting in this 
podcast is that they misinterpret that. And because of this black and white, all or nothing thinking, they often think, oh, so you're telling me not to be a perfectionist anymore, but you're telling me to be mediocre or second rate. Or uh, There's a very good example of it that somebody I was working with on this problem suggested perhaps they, instead of setting these impossible tasks that was blocking them working, that they lowered their expectations so that they could achieve something realistic. And he immediately translated that from lowering expectations, which could still be very high expectations, but achievable. He misheard that and heard me saying that he should have low expectations. So again, it's this all or nothing way of thinking. So it's about finding, again, sort of aiming for, you know, what's good, but but achievable. And uh, uh, often that's a difficult concept to grasp. And partly why it's a difficult concept to grasp is the messages that we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. and the different ways that we think. A lot of people think that their idea of themselves or their, their self is some unitary, rational, consistent being. Whereas the reality is more what being a human being is like and and what self is, is a chairperson of a very unruly, conflicted committee Mm -hmm. with contradictory and conflicting ideas. And like running a company or running a government, you've got to try and find some resolution to these different positions and find compromises. Uh, So it functions as a workable democracy. And that's what actually being a human and living your life is like, balancing out all these different conflicting demands. However, the perfectionist voice, one of these members of this committee, can be very absolutist with these absolute, perfect and somewhat impossible and persecutory expectations of how you should be. And that can turn into a very bullying and dominating voice, uh, which if you're looking at it as a metaphor in terms of a political process, can seem a bit fascistic or uh, very fundamentalist. You know, this all or nothing Uh, mindset which can block out any other voices and silence it and turn it into a bit of a dictatorship rather Mm -hmm. than a democratic committee and that voice can be constantly speaking to you so I've noticed in counseling sessions when talking with people it's like they're not listening to what I'm saying or the dialogue that we're having this internal voice is saying don't listen to this idiot He's just telling you to be second rate. Mm -hmm. And you think that this voice is a friend and helping you and encouraging you. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's giving you bad advice. So what should people do instead? Well, I would encourage the person to start, you know, questioning, not assuming that this voice is correct, especially looking at the evidence and seeing whether it's working or not. Is it really working? Is it motivating you or is it making you feel unhappy, demotivated and disappointed in your work and your life experiences? So that's the first thing to do. Um, But the other thing is trying to create the 
more of a authority in this chairperson, which is more observing. So it's like developing your own life coach or consultant or, or therapist. So you can bring in the other voices that are being silenced and balancing out the things that we enjoy in life, the realities of life, the compromises that we have to make. And accepting that compromise is not a bad thing. It may be not achieving the impossible absolute, but it might get you some, you know, sort of something really valuable and help you, motivate you, get through a difficult time. Yes, because I, I think it's about harnessing that drive and energy towards more productive goals mm. as opposed to self-defeating goals. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think that's where there's often a something gets lost in translation mm -hmm. because the whole idea of suggestions and the help offered to perfectionists is to help them more successful in life, not less successful. And they completely misunderstand that. They think unless they're completely perfect, then there's no point in doing anything. And that is so self-defeating. So it's, it's about encouraging people to think in more resilient and emotionally resilient ways, more flexible ways, not have rigid expectations on themselves um, so that they can keep going and get through the normal challenges and struggles of life.